Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. The Emmanuel Youth are doing an amazing job, right? Amazing, so good. Um, I've been I've been asked to preach at a youth service today. I assume because I am so youthful, the coolest, the most on trend, um, and connected to youth culture personally. No, no, you don't think so. <laughs> um, shall we pray before we get into the Word of God? Father in heaven, thank you for, for the joy in this room this morning. Thank you for each one of the young people who have done such an amazing job. We come together before you as a family and we're opening your word with expectant hearts to hear from you, to be shaped by you, to have the, the glory and the love of Jesus revealed to us in a, in a beautiful and deeper way. I pray that you would do that through us, amongst us, by the power of your Spirit this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, today we are continuing our Walking in the Light series, um, and we are going to be looking at the topic of self-control over binging. Self-control over binging. Fun stuff, guys. Um, let's, let's go to our, um, our topic um, a, a scripture rather, 1 Corinthians 9 verses 23 to 27. That's where we'll be camping out for the first part of today. Um, if you've got your Bibles, grab them. The word should come up on the screen. Otherwise, I'll read it out. It says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 23 to 27. I do it all. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. In these verses, the, the Apostle Paul is likening the Christian life to a running race. To a running race, to an athletics race. Serious, competitive athletes have to be self-controlled in order to win the prize that they have set their, their heart on. Right? They have to be self-controlled. They have to train the right way. They have to eat the right things. They have to get the right amount of sleep and rest. In order to win that gold medal, athletes have to be self-controlled in all things. And Paul is saying that the Christian life is similar to that. He's saying as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, in how you live your life, you cannot be aimless. You have to be self-controlled. He's saying don't be like a boxer who just kind of is boxing the air, beating the air 
aimlessly. He's saying, aim for the chin. Be intentional. Be, be self-controlled in how you go about living your life. And in verse 27, he gives us the reason why he takes this so seriously. He says, he lives this, com- like this self-controlled, this completely self-controlled way. That's what he's aiming at. So that after preaching the gospel of Jesus, he isn't disqualified by how he has lived his life. He wants his actions and his lifestyle to, to line up with what he believes and what he preaches about Jesus. He wants things to be lined up. He, he's not into hypocrisy. That's not what he's aiming at, obviously. And Paul's not messing about in how he describes this, right? He's using quite violent language about disciplining his body, wearing down the resistance that he might feel within himself to the, to the truth of the gospel and its impact on his life because he, he doesn't want to preach it and then not live it. He doesn't want to be called a Christian and then not live like a follower of Jesus. He knows that to be a follower of Jesus is a privilege. To be invited to to walk in the light by the God of grace, by the creator God, the God who spoke the heaven and the earth into being, to be invited to walk into the light is a grace and a blessing and a treasure and he wants to live his life in line with that. That requires self-control. So today we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to look at the need for self-control, the challenge of self-control, and the path towards self-control. The need, the challenge, and the path. Let's start with the need for self-control. I'm very aware that you read passages of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 9, like we just read, like the one we just read, and it's likely that a lot of people are going to start to feel slightly uncomfortable in our society and culture because that's what happens when you start to talk a bit about in our, in our city, in our culture, in our society, about in any way limiting yourself in what you could and, and should not do, particularly when, you, when it comes to, to, to things of morality. You start to talk about that, people people start to get a bit uncomfortable. Anything that looks like, sounds like, smells like, any sort of restriction on what, it's, on what our culture, our city, our society deems to be freedom tends to be rejected out of hand. Like, you can't go there. But Paul says, I discipline my body to maintain self-control. In the NIV translation, it, it, sounds, it sounds stronger. It says, I strike a blow to my body to maintain self-control. He's not talking about like self-flagellation. He's like, I'm taking this seriously. He's using strong language because he wants to communicate that this is something that's super important. So, so let's, let's meet this head on, right? In our, in our city, in our society, in our culture, increasingly, the only rule of life, the only rule that must be followed is that we must be true to our authentic self. That's the rule. In our city, our society, our culture, increasingly, nothing has the right to stop you following whatever you want to do, in whatever way you want to do it, in however way you want to express it. That's the rule. How many times have you heard these, these phrases that kind of epitomize, sum up our culture, our city, our society? Phrases like, you do you. You heard that? Speak your truth. 
You heard that? The heart wants what it wants. Heard that one? All about be true to yourself. These, these phrases, they sum up the spirit and the philosophy of the secular age and city that we live in. This is our youth takeover, right? So some of you young people, you've been taking your GCSEs recently. Do you still do Shakespeare at GCSE English? Is that still a thing? Yeah? Um, did you study Hamlet? No. Okay, Macbeth. I did Macbeth as well. So I didn't know this either. But be true to yourself is a quote from Shakespeare's play Hamlet. In Hamlet, there's this line that says, This above all to thine own self be true. This above all to thine own self be true. Do you know who says that line in Hamlet, the play? Do you know which character? The character's name is Polonius. And Polonius in the play is a fool. He is a counselor to the king. And he is a fool. He literally gets everything wrong. Every single one of his judgments wrong throughout the course of the play. His children in the play think he's an idiot. He just babbles on. And yet here, in 2023... We parrot, be true to yourself. Above all, to thine own self be true. The advice of a fool, and we use it as the guiding principle in our lives. And guess what? It doesn't take a philosophical genius to work out that sometimes, just because you want to do something, or think that something is true, or have a certain desire, that you should act on that desire. It doesn't take a genius to work out that we don't really want to live in a world like that. Right? We don't really want to have a society that functions like that. Take, um, take the example of Woody Allen. Woody Allen was a very famous film director in the 1980s and 90s. I told you I was the most connected to youth culture person they could find. So I managed to find like, some random film director from the 1980s that is almost certainly you know, before you were born. But never mind. He was a director of films. <clears throat> and he was in a relationship with, a woman, with an actress... Another, a famous actress who you would never have heard of, called Mia Farrow. Who, and Mia Farrow adopted a, a Korean baby girl, an orphan baby girl from Korea into her family called Soon Yi. And Soon Yi kind of grew up with Woody Allen as a bit of a stepdad figure in her life. Her, her mum, Mia Farrow, and Woody Allen were in a relationship. After a while, Farrow and Allen's relationship ended. And Woody Allen shocked the world, shocked Hollywood, by starting a relationship with Soon Yi. At the time, he was 56, she was 21. When asked in an interview why he had done what he had done, he said, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. Our culture might tell you that the most important thing is to be true to yourself. You do you. The heart wants what it wants. And nothing should stop you going for it. But the truth is, it's the advice of a fool. And instead, the Bible tells Christians to follow the way of Jesus. To be true to Jesus. His way, His truth, His gospel. That through exercising self-control, we follow Him and His heart for our lives. That self-control allows His truth, His priorities to shape our lives and align us with God's good, wise loving plan for human flourishing because he knows better what we need than we do. That when we decide to follow Jesus, we are deciding to die to ourselves and our own desires so that we can find fullness of life in his plan 
for our lives. Through self-control and being true to Jesus, we position ourselves more and more and more each and every day of our lives to receive the blessings of the gospel of grace. We position ourselves to be increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that is a far, far better way than you do you. Be true to yourself. Be true to him. Be true to him. Our society and our culture might not like the idea of self-control, but the Bible says we need to pursue it. So, that's the need. The need for self-control. Number two, the challenge of self-control. Being self-controlled isn't easy, right? We've all lived long enough to know that. So let's look at the, the challenges. We are physical and spiritual beings. And that means that we have natural physical needs and desires and spiritual needs and desires. We have the physical need for things like food and shelter and clean air to breathe and rest. And we have the spiritual need for for meaning and comfort and acceptance and significance and to feel loved and, and loads more. We have physical and we have spiritual needs. But what can often happen is that we lack self-control and we look to satisfy those desires and needs that are within us in the wrong places. And what can actually happen is that every time we go to those wrong places to satisfy those needs, even though it doesn't satisfy us, even though it doesn't scratch the itch that we have, every time we go to those wrong places, it can become harder to stop going there. It becomes harder to exercise self-control. There's a biblical principle that when you, you reap what you sow, you sow seeds of unrighteousness, you will, you will reap fruit of unrighteousness. And it's almost like there's this, this cycle. It becomes harder to exercise self-control. And one way that this manifests itself, particularly in our modern world, because the resources of Western modern society allow it, is through binging. Binging. And binging I'm going to define as repeatedly and excessively going to the wrong places to try and satisfy deep desires in our hearts. Binging is repeatedly and excessively trying to go to the wrong places to satisfy deep desires in our hearts. And three typical examples of binging in our world, in our society and culture, are food, sex, and entertainment. Food, sex, and entertainment. So I'm going to quickly take these in turn. We all have a legitimate need for food, right? Food is a good thing. God made it. He made us to enjoy it. We need it. It's wonderful. We all also have a legitimate need for comfort and to be comforted, right? Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is difficult and we need to be comforted. But what a lot of us do, and I, and I am in no way excusing myself from any of these, right? I'm not someone who's saying, I'm, I've achieved this, I've arrived. I'm not excusing myself from this. What a lot of us do, um, we might use food not simply to satisfy our hunger, but to satisfy our need for comfort. We find ourselves in front of the fridge, even when we're not hungry. Maybe we're just bored or feel a bit down, need that pick-me-up, and we go back again and again and again, and we keep going back even though it doesn't really satisfy even though it doesn't really scratch the itch, we're not 
exercising self-control. We're seeking our needs to be met in the wrong place. And in the end, it can actually feel like we're, we're walking in the dark. Rather than walking in the light of the grace of the gospel, we can feel like we're walking in an unhealthy place. And it can actually be unhealthy for us. That's food. Take sex. All of us have a legitimate need for acceptance and affirmation, a need to feel loved, as well as a physical desire for, for sex and intimacy. And sometimes we can, we can look to satisfy those needs in sexual relationships which we know aren't God's design for our lives. Relationships that we know aren't in the covenant safety of biblical marriage between a man and a woman. Relationships that we can't seem to find the self-control to resist or avoid. Maybe you keep going back to that guy or that girl, even though you know it's not good for you. Maybe you go further than you know you should or really want to with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You want to be accepted. You want to be affirmed. You want to be loved. But actually, what you end up feeling is disconnected and guilty and a bit ashamed. And the thing is that every time you go there, even though it doesn't satisfy the deep needs that you have, it's harder to be self-controlled and stop yourself going back there again and again. And it might feel like you're walking in the dark because of it. Or take entertainment, food, sex, entertainment. And for this one, I'm going to um, give you an illustration. Michael, can you bring up the, the bin, please? This is my bathroom bin. Yeah, you stand there, mate. You carry it. <laughs> Possibly the worst of all household bins, in my personal opinion. The stuff that gets put in a bathroom bin is pretty disgusting, pretty gross. So let's have a look. Do you want to open it for me? Thank you, mate. So what have we got? We've got used tissues. Lovely. Um, what else? There's something else in here. Plasters. Used plasters. Those weird hairballs that come off hairbrushes. Odd. Just odd. Like a little animal. Pretty disgusting. And I've got kids... So sometimes you get the, the occasional surprise put in the bathroom bin, things that shouldn't be going in the bathroom bin, but in fact should be in the kitchen bin, but nonetheless in the bathroom bin. So what have we got here? We've got um, cheese sandwich. Maybe Solomon didn't like that for his lunch yesterday. So we've got a cheese sandwich in there. Now we're talking about entertainment, right? So let's, uh, let's say my bathroom bin represents Netflix. Ooh. And the contents of my bathroom bin represents the various Netflix shows that you can watch. Imagine it's the end of the day. I'm tired. I need a rest. And I'm not just, I'm not just physically a little bit tired. I'm emotionally, spiritually, I feel dry and weary. I have a need for a rest. I have this legitimate need for rest. That deep nourishment that can only really come from real rest. So what do we do? What do I do? Switch on Netflix, choose a series, and I tuck in. <laughs> tuck into Netflix. Oh my goodness. This is dry enough. Thank you, Elliot. Okay. I'm actually going to have to have a drink. Oh my word. Okay, pretty disgusting, pretty disgusting. Oh. 
It's not that satisfying. It doesn't actually scratch the itch that I have. It doesn't actually lead me to feel more rested. Perhaps what actually happens is you end up watching five straight episodes, go to bed at 2 a.m., have to get up at 6.30 for work. I don't feel that rested. Next day, I get to the evening. I'm tired. I, I need that, that deep nourishment that comes from a real rest. I switch on Netflix. I switch on Netflix. And I, and I turn it on. I've got three episodes left of that thing, and maybe there's another series that I'm going to... No? Thank you, Michael. You can go and sit down. I'm not... I'm not just pointing the finger, right? I'm not just pointing the finger, right? I do this. Statistically, 90% of millennials binge-watch Netflix, so we're all doing it. And interestingly, the day of the week that people binge-watch Netflix the most is Sundays, the traditional day of Christian rest. Maybe you do this. Maybe you go to entertainment for a rest. I'm not saying all of Netflix is bad, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. And we keep going back. We keep binging. And sometimes, actually, we go back and what we're watching is really bad for us. Sometimes it's full of stuff that if you consume it, it will bring anxiety and fear and lust to your door. And we are choosing to go there. And we keep going back. And it gets harder and harder to exercise self-control. And it feels like we are, we are walking in the dark because we... We, we hit, we, there is this challenge of exercising self-control to walk in the way of Jesus, to w- walk in the light, and we, and we keep on falling over. So that's a challenge. The challenge of self-control. <clears throat> so, finally, how do we walk this path of self-control? How do we walk in the light of self-control? The answer is that you might often hear, the answer that you might often hear is willpower. In order to be self-controlled, your mind has to master your heart. That the desires and needs that you have have to be reined in, pushed down, chained up by the power of your mind. That's not how the Bible answers this question. And there was a clue to how the Bible answers this question in, in the first verse I read out. Paul said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The prize of the gospel is what empowers Paul to live a life of self-control. The power that enables self-control isn't willpower, it's joy power. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of the letter of the Hebrews to the Hebrews is picking up on the same theme of running the race, running the Christian life, right? Walking in the light. And how do we do it? Where do we find the power? 
we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How did Jesus find the strength, the endurance, the self-control to face the cross? Hebrews 12 doesn't say that it was willpower. It was joy that empowered Jesus. And it's joy that can empower us to live a self-controlled life. To help us live a self-controlled life that helps us walk in the light. It's joy power that can help us break the cycle of going back to the wrong place time after time. Joy power, not willpower. We find the power to live a self-controlled life when we set our heart's desire on Jesus, the one who really can meet our needs. We don't try to, to squish down, pretend that we don't have any real desires or needs, or desires for love, need for acceptance, through sheer willpower alone. We joyfully go to the only place and the only person who can satisfy those desires in a meaningful way. Do you remember the story of, of Jacob and Rachel in the Old Testament? You can go and read it in Genesis 29. I won't read it all out. Basically, Jacob uh, meets a girl called Rachel. And in order to marry her, um, he has to work for seven years. He agrees with her father, Laban, that he will work for seven years for free in order to get her hand in marriage. And it says in Genesis 29 that such was Jacob's love for Rachel that those seven years seemed like just a few days to him. Such was his joy in Rachel. Such was his love for her. Seven years of hard, physical labor in the, in the Middle East in midday sun for no money seemed like just a few days. He stayed the path, did the time. It wasn't a trial. It, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a struggle. Why? Because of the joy of being with Rachel that was before him. That's the sort of joy that the Bible expects us to be empowered by in order for us to walk in self-control. God knows what you need. The desires of your heart. That we are made to need acceptance and affirmation and love and rest and comfort. And Hebrews 12 tells us that it was Jesus' joy to offer you salvation, to offer you relationship with God, and to satisfy those needs. That he was willing to die on the cross so that we may know true acceptance from God. That we might experience the unwavering, unstoppable love of God the Father flowing into our lives. That we might be comforted in our darkest moments by the God of eternal light and the God who grants us eternal life. That we would be able to enter his rest, knowing that it's not all on our shoulders and that God cares for us and he will work all things together for the good of those who love him. The self-control we need to follow Jesus, to live our lives the Jesus way, comes from seeing the joy he has in us and in us setting our heart on that and on him. The joy in us that meant that he was able to endure the cross. And when we see that joy, when we fix our eyes on it, we respond to him with our own joy in who he is, what he has done. He is our treasure. He is our prize. He is where we go to satisfy those needs and desires that we have. The self-control to follow him is, is no longer a chore, no longer a burden. 
It's not something that we have to summon up within ourselves with, through sheer force of will. It's empowered by joy and gratitude. So, so when, when you go, when, you go in front, when you're in front of the fridge and you're not there because you're hungry, do what Hebrews 12 tells you to do. Consider Jesus and the comfort it was his joy to give you. When you're tempted to message that guy, hook up with that guy or girl, who you know is not God's design for your life, is not your husband, is not your wife, consider the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Consider Jesus and the, the affirmation, the acceptance, the love, that it was his joy to give you. When you're weary, and you're and you, in need of real nourishing rest. Consider Jesus and the rest that it was his joy to give to you. When we fix our eyes on him, we no longer want to go to the wrong places to satisfy our needs. It's our joy to go to somewhere better. In him we find comfort. In him we find acceptance. In him we find rest. In him we find real meaningful, sacrificial, head-over-heels love. His joy is to save us. Our joy is to follow him and receive more of him in our life. And that's what empowers self-control. So let's wrap up. To, to walk in the light, the Bible calls us to pursue a self-control life empowered by joy in who Jesus is and what he's done. We're going to close today by taking communion together. Um, I'm going to get the juice, get the wafer. Maybe the welcome team can make sure those, those are passed by. As we do this, let's remember the act, of, the act of taking bread and wine, juice and wafer, is a gift from God. This isn't something that we just do. This isn't just a habit. This is a holy gift from God. This is a holy tool that brings us back and helps us fix our eyes on Jesus, the bringer of joy. Hebrews 12 says, consider him. Consider the one who for the joy that was set before him, his joy in saving you, his joy in bringing a people back to the Father. Consider him for the and the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to... We're going to...